everybody, welcome to the latest episode of the Extra World Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Brown, a.k.a. Dane Allen, a.k.a. Uptown Jordan Brown, a.k.a. Big Buckets Brown. Again, that one's probably never going to stick, but I can keep trying. <sighs> How are you? I can start off every episode. You good? Cool? Um, yeah, man. This week has been pretty chill. Um... I spent a little bit of time out of town, went on a little vacay, came back home, um, got some bad news while I was out of town. Uh, rest in peace to um, Eric Finkley and his family. He's a former teammate of mine. We played football together in Miami of Ohio. And, yeah, bro, just, wow. Uh, you know, you get some bad news when you're supposed to be having a good time, and it's, like, really just... It could throw a wrench into the plans, but I feel like um, hopefully we'll be able to all get together and um, really just um, commemorate your memory, bro, if that's the right way to say that, Um, and, you know, love and honor, bro. Uh, Saw a lot of support out there for everybody on... Social media, both Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, you know, so you're going to have a lot of people there cheering for you, bro, and really just supporting your family and everything like that. So, uh, again, rest in peace, bro. Uh, next, I want to thank everybody for checking out the St. James Jackson episode a couple of weeks ago. That was going to be the first comic to... um you know, kick off this Comedian's Corner type of thing that I'm doing right now. I really wanted to spotlight a few comics, especially within the Chicago land area. So I wanted to sit down with St. James first. Uh, the next one, you guys are checking out this episode last week, um, the Alan Ford episode. That episode was recorded a while ago, and the, the reason why I wanted to push that one forward is because Alan Ford has a show coming up. And I will be on that show. So I appreciate that, Alan. It will be April 13th out in Hickory Hills, Illinois, 8548 South 85th Court, Hickory Hills, Illinois, 60457. Um, that'll be hosted by Rebecca Gibson. And your boy, Jordan Brown, will be on the bill, as well as OJ Lamont, Marcus Hendricks, Derek Hurley, and the headliner will be Alan Ford. Follow him on Instagram and Facebook at Ford of Comedy. He's also on Twitter as well, at Ford of Comedy. And you can also check out our other show or our podcast, The Ford Effect, where I am his co-host, and we just talk about all things comedy, current events, pop culture, and whatever else you can think of. We actually talk a lot about sports. And this week's guest, Burt Young, is also on that episode. So I hope you enjoyed the Alan Ford episode. Hope you're able to go and check us out on April 13th out in Hickory Hills. And actually, you can get a ticket on Eventbrite. So if you go to Alan's page at Ford Comedy and you... Check out the link in the bio. It is the Eventbrite, Eventbrite, Eventbrite link to be able to buy a ticket and check out the show. Um, yeah, man. So this week's guest is Burt Young, a suburban comic in the Chicagoland area. And I met Burt at Riddles Comedy Club. And we also did um, an open mic 
at another suburban open mic hosted by Kyle Allen and Bryce Friday, the dynamic duo, Mr. Mose, open mic every Tuesday. And when I saw Bert there, I kind of thought about the way he performed on stage. And it's really funny because when we talked about his influences and the type of things he likes to work on when he's on stage, he actually... He explains a lot of it, and when you see him on stage at his mics and at different shows, you like see like that influence come through. We're talking about the jazz influence. We're talking about the musical influence overall. You know his idea of pacing and different things like that, and all the comics that actually influence him while he's on stage really show and they come through on his um. A lot of his sets, and I felt like I wanted to have Bert on, one, because he was interesting, two, because he's a little bit older than us, so Bert started out comedy with a family, and he discussed that in the show about how it's really hard to kind of balance that whole idea of exactly how to um, really just figure out what is important sometimes and he does say sometimes comedy takes him away but he also says that you know he's being hard on himself and I feel like that's one of those things where if you're a comic and you're just an everyday person really you just want to be good at who you are or be the best person you can be you can't be hard on yourself and I think that's one of those things that kind of really comes through on this episode. He really talks about how he's kind of critical of himself, critical of himself, and he works on his writing, you know. He, he's getting his, his confidence together and, and, and just really having a feel for exactly what he's going to do when he steps on stage every time. And, and he had an idea of what he wanted to be like as a comic, and he really attacked that. And he's approaching certain goals and different milestones and everything like that. But like I said, I think one of the most important things is to hear him talk about the way he discussed his family, how they influence him on stage, or he gets a lot of material from stuff and stuff from them. I think that's one of those situations where I really um, appreciate this episode. And I think you guys will too. He really um, lets us lets us get a bird's eye view of what it's like to be a comic for him. And that's kind of what I wanted to do with this idea of the comedian's corner and just really hope that a lot of the comics that I have on the show will allow you to see exactly who they are, allow you to see exactly what type of material they're trying to put together and put out on stage, allow you to see the different tactics or different influences that push them on stage. I think the main thing to me was really, like I said, I was really taking, not so much taken back, but like when someone mentions an influence and just how it really pushed them, on stage and how it really like he just dissects this whole musical aspect of everything and you can hear it you can hear how he wants to control different things different different punchlines and how the crowd reacts sometimes and it, it like it's almost like storytelling but not storytelling it's conversational but conver- like not conversational like he mixes a lot of different styles of comedy together and he's just a pretty like he's a good comic like he's a pretty good comic and he's working on different things and we talk a lot about confidence and just how you know he had one instance where he first bombed and didn't do well on stage and almost forgot every line he had so you have almost it's like it's really interesting man like to really sit down with these guys or ladies um and get an idea for exactly who they are um 
And that shout out to Adrian Brandenburg, who I will be posting your podcast episode again because she is also doing big things. But anyway, back to Bert right now. <laughs> uh, but yes, yeah, so I hope you guys really enjoyed this episode. I hope you guys enjoyed last week's and the week before that and the week before that. So you catch up to the new episodes and you're able to check those out. Again, appreciate all of the love and support. Make sure you subscribe and review. Comment on SoundCloud. Um, check the Instagram and the Facebook page out. At It's Your World Pod underscore Instagram and Twitter. It's Your World Podcast on Facebook. And also listen to uh, The Fort Effect on SoundCloud as well. We've got a few episodes up there, man. Just, um, yeah, check out the episodes. Let me know what you think. Uh, make sure you also follow Bert on Instagram at B-E-R-T dot Young, Y-O-U-N-G dot 7 on IG. And don't forget to check out... The show April 13th, 2019, out in Hickory Hills, Illinois, featuring myself, OJ Lamont, Marcus Hendricks, Derek Hurley, hosted by Rebecca Gibson, and headlining Alan Ford. You can check the tickets out on Eventbrite. Go to at Ford Comedy on IG, follow his page. Make sure you also hit the Eventbrite uh, link in his bio and make sure you're there. All right, guys, appreciate it. Looking through everything. Oh, but you're just being yeah. a little brother. So yeah. Like, does that shit ever come up in your comedy, man? I, don't, I think I might have heard you say like one joke about. Oh like, yeah, about sister. my sister. <laughs> yeah, my sister, man. And it's so funny because my sister is like a super compassionate person, but then when it came to her shit, she wasn't fucking around. <laughs> That's understandable. She would murder your ass. <laughs> And she was one of the ones that used to pick <clears throat> you up and then make you shit so your parents could hear it. And then just wail on you. Now, I got had it coming. I ain't gonna lie. I mean, it was an ass whipping coming, but still, when that ass whipping came, it came quick, <laughs> fast, and fierce. So that's where all the comedy comes from. Just the the PTSD of getting beat up by your older sister. Man, that and a lot of my stuff is like about family too. It's like mm-hmm. little observations and stuff that you know I see with my family. Like um, my, I'm getting like new stuff every day from my son. Mm-hmm. This dude, my son is ve- he's very much like me. He, he's he's really witty. He's a smart kid, but the thing about him is he's super. He's super good looking and he's super athletic, which I don't even know where he got that from. <laughs> and he's an amazing kid, but he's like really witty. And I think a lot of the things that I do now bounces off of things that, that he kind of does too. So you see a lot of yourself in him. Even I do. Yeah. I feel bad for him <laughs> already. <laughs> I do because he's just... <clears throat> When you're kind of a witty kid like that, being in your preteens, it doesn't really bode well like in, in an instruction environment like school and everything else. When you graduate, like high school or whatever, you start to go into college, then it kind of works for you in a way. Mm-hmm. But from that age to like 13 to 17, um, even a little bit older, it's rough on someone with that type of personality because you want to branch out, but you can't because you're in the instruction environment. Right. So you have to kind of temper yourself. And a lot of times when you temper yourself, you get anxious. I can remember being a kid being real anxious. Like I would, I would have all these thoughts run through my head when I was in class. And then all of a sudden, like, just busting out saying something would be the wrong time when the mm-hmm. teacher was talking. Or I had to get a friend's attention real quick. 
So, like, that age and being um, kind of a quick and witty kid and um, being in school is really, it's, it's hard. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't really get your, your feet under you until, like, you get older. Mm-hmm. I feel like in those, in that time period, you kind of really, I, I think everybody always says, oh, you're finding yourself, you're doing this. It's like, no, I think that's when you, you're actually digesting pretty much of, like, what life is going to be like, in a way. So mm-hmm. we do see cliques and everything like that in high school and everything. And you like, oh, man, oh, well, real life can't be like that. It is. It is. <laughs> <laughs> and, it's, and, and it's so many, so many different influences that you, you, you're taking it. You're taking it just, like you said, being in that structured environment. Because that's what, that's what work is going to be like. Yeah. You got to sit at your job for eight hours at a time and just fucking work. And sometimes nothing to fucking do. And, and you got to be quiet. <laughs> like you can't be outlandish. You can't do this. You can't do that. I guess that's why I'm a comic now. <laughs> yeah, you needed time to go ahead and actually live the life that you want to live. Mm-hmm. And I think um, it's a freedom to being a comedian. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a point where you're not really afraid to offend anybody. You can say whatever you want, and people take it how you say it. Mm-hmm. You can't say that. In and a lot of things I say in my comedy at work. I can't, you know, even if I was in a class environment, I can't say it in school, but I can say it on stage. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's liberating because you, you don't get that opportunity through your whole life. Right. So I, that's what I really like, like, liked about being a comedian is I can say what I want to say, however I want to say it. Right. On the stage. So it's just that freedom that draws you to comedy. It, how long did it take you to get there, though? So. Oh, I was out. Well, I started out a little bit later than a lot of people. Mm-hmm. I started out, uh, I was about 35. Wow. I'm, um, I'm going to be 40 in a couple months. But I started out maybe about 35, 36. I was just at work. And I was just, it was one day I just fucking had enough. <laughs> I was tired of bullshit. So I'm like, this is fucking bullshit. And I always wanted to do stand-up comedy, but I never really sought out to do it. Right. So I look on the computer, I look on the um, those like those wiki pages on those wiki hows. So I was like, how do I get started in stand-up comedy? Right. So it's like, okay, first you gotta go to an open mic. And so I looked up open mics in the area, and then all of a sudden I found one um, near where I lived in Orland Park, Illinois. So and it happened to be that night. So I was like, oh, what do I do in this open mic? You know, I can't just Ran. So they said, okay, you have to come with a five-minute set. So I wrote down, like, five little quick jokes. And I drove to Orland Park. This is a little bar called Dandy Jacks. And I was I almost turned around. I went in, and they had a sign that said, comedy almost walked out. I was like, just oh, I can't about the whole thing. Like, but They didn't I, even get into the door, though. Like, uh-huh. just on the side. <laughs> and you know what bad thing was? I brought my wife with me. Oh, wow. So where are we going? <laughs> I, when I had told her, I said, okay. I was like, I'm going to try stand-up comedy. Just off a whim, I'm going to try stand-up comedy this bar in, in Orland Park. She's like, okay. She's like, can I come with you? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, let's go. So we went and drove, and I got so scared. But then I think I was like fifth or sixth. Mm. So I told some joke about, because um, I live in a rural area, having to walk um, backwards in the field, but naked to get here through horse and carriage and some it, it was it was the worst five minutes I've ever done on the stage in the history of man. 
but I enjoyed it. I, I liked the feeling of being free on stage. So I just kept going and trying to hammer out a good one. I just wanted a good one minute. A lot of people worry about the five minutes. I was worried about a good one minute. And I was like, if I can get 45 seconds in that one minute, I'll be happy. And I think that's one thing that people don't realize is like, you can spend a whole two or three days writing some shit that will get you no laughs. Oh my! Not even like you said that forty that valuable forty five seconds I, won't even be there, and you spent two days to a week writing this shit. I had a whole notebook that I thought would get me a Netflix special <laughs> automatically, and I swear I've told every joke in that notebook mm-hmm. absolutely nothing. Wow. Nothing. I was like, ooh, and I hate throwing jokes away. I'll recycle them and use them for something else. I had to throw these fuckers away. It was, it was that bad. But then there's some times where you just think of something on the whim, write it down on a piece of paper, and it works. work it out a little bit, and it works. So it's hit and miss. Like I was reading an article where they say nine out of ten jokes that you try will not work. That so sounds you, so defeating, bro. Like. Is it? <laughs> I mean, even hell, if you're a good baseball player, that's three out of ten. If you're a comedian, you only get one out of ten jokes that actually really work. Right. So that means you, your output has to be insane. Mm-hmm. I like these guys that show up on Netflix and do these 45-hour minute specials. It's insane the amount of material they have to write just to get there. Yeah, yeah. Especially if you put the emphasis, like you said. just But that was his first start now. How has it changed from there to now? You know, almost, what you said, 35 when you first started? It was, that's almost, what, five years? Yeah, yeah. I wanted, uh, yeah, I was 35, maybe 40 um, in May. I think what works for me now is I can hear a joke in my head and I'll go, oh, that's not going to work. Mm. Because that's too similar to this. I would say, well, why, why is that? So you, you, you I, I've gotten to that point now, too. It's just like having the material isn't really the problem anymore. To me, the problem is finding that flow. Yeah. Like, to put those jokes together and they don't sound alike. Or are you able to mix and match different sets and do it like that? I, I don't know, man. Like, I've gotten to that point, too. Like where you said, you can write a whole notebook full of shit and not know where to start with a set. Yeah. Puzzle piece. And I, I think see it this that's piece. okay to me. I'd rather have that problem than not have any material at all. That was my, I think my first year I was in it because I just went to the same place all the time with the Danny Jacks four year every Wednesday. And I would, um, actually first year and a half, I just went there because A, I was scared to go anywhere else. It was, it was very comfortable. Um, Ray Fisher ran the mic and he, he's a great dude. And like, I was like, I don't want to go anywhere else. These people are so nice. Like I I really didn't. But then all of a sudden, um, I started getting, you know, a little bit acclimated in what I wanted to do. And it was, I wanted to get to somewhere that's unfamiliar because I wanted my comedy to grow. Like there's a difference between telling jokes and doing comedy. Mm. And I think, um, I wanted to grow as an artist and a comedian when I saw that I, I do have a kind of a, a, um, a talent to do that. Mm. And I felt that I was cheating myself 
and still telling the jokes in front of the same people um, in the same places. You know, it's the same comedians that you'll see eventually in other places. Mm-hmm. If, um, yeah, and I think that's comforting in a way, to, like you said, to be like so comfortable in this one spot and then you go to other places like, oh shit, everybody that I saw here is here. Everybody yeah. that I saw here is like, so what the fuck was I afraid of to begin with? Exactly. I'm like, I don't want to go to a whole different crowd. You can go to a mic two or three times a night and see 60% of the same people you saw at the first two months. And I think it was just, and I think it was me too, wanting to branch out as a person, wanting to grow as an artist. Okay, now I have this quote unquote hobby, because I wasn't getting paid, Mm -hmm. you know, but it was something that I wanted to get better at. And it was something that, and then that art kind of pushed me to grow as a person rather than be in that same box too. And it's kind of art um, pushing me to go a different avenue. Now that kind of branched out for me going to a different avenue, which is comedy, to branching out, being a, a different artist and a comedian, trying to find my voice mm-hmm. that's different than everyone else that's out there. What was it like getting to that point, just working through it? Was it frustrating? Was it, was it a simple shift for you when you realized, like, oh, all these guys are here, all these other comedians are here? Just, like, what was that like for you? It was f- it wasn't frustrating in terms of like finding jokes and finding materials and telling things. I think the frustrating part was um, I wasn't growing as fast as I wanted to. And I think the process was a more of a, a marathon than a sprint, and I didn't realize that. I'm starting to realize that. I'm still kind of realizing that now. But um, I would see somebody's act and go, man, that was really good. Like, it would, it would blow me away. I was like, why am I so far off than where this person is? And then the same thing, I, I would see an act that was not as good and go, well, I don't think I'm that far from this person. So I think the big thing with me is, is not to compare myself mm-hmm. with other comedians, I have it is more of an inward look in the in the process that I'm taking now. Like I can have four or five really good sets. I'm not gonna think they're good sets. Somebody else that's gonna look. Oh man, that's really good set. But I have to look like more inside of myself than I do at other comedians. I think that's what I'm starting to kind of get now. Year four, going on year five, mm-hmm. is to kind of look at my own progress and not compared to other comedians, but kind of grow into myself and everything else to work out. So as you grew and you started f- performing and everything, what was, it, what was it like, the first the first successful set you had? What was it like, the first bomb you had? Like, what, what were those situations? Because I, I, I like to have comics on to be able to talk about that stuff, because everybody remembers those. <laughs> that, the first successful set I had was actually at Danny Jacks. I was maybe in comedy for about a year. I was in a year, and he's like, hey, do you want to do this comedy competition? And I go, yeah. So I would kind of work on the same jokes or whatever. And this is why I was talking about growth as a comedian. For some reason, that day of the competition, which I remember was on the Friday, I was working this accounting office, and I forgot everything. That just blanked on stage. Blanked. Not on stage, but just like thinking about throughout the day. Blanked out. Had no idea what I was going to do. And I almost had a panic attack. And I was like, oh my God. 
So I calm myself down and go, you know what? Just tell me. Just talk about you. Mm-hmm. And I said, at worst, if you talk about yourself and it doesn't work, then... Um, you never have to do that material again. Exactly. I just throw that out because I already forgot what I was supposed to do. But talk about funny stuff that happened to you. And it was about a kid that lived behind me. And um, he had a Sega, Sega Genesis. Well, Sega Genesis was really big. And we got out from school for one day. And all of a sudden, we're amped up. We're going to this house and say, play Sega Genesis. It's like eight of us. And the kid points out, he goes to this one other kid, Sep, you, you can't come to my house and play Sega Genesis. The kid's like, why? He goes, because I don't like you. And the other kid responds back, you know what? Your mom's a whore. And that's how she got all those games for Sega Genesis, because she's a whore. And I told that joke, and it got the best response that I've ever had. And that was the first time I really felt good on stage and comfortable on stage. Mm-hmm. And the premise of that joke was, I remember when I, my mom, my mom worked two jobs. I was like, oh my God, I didn't know what a whore was. When I was a cousin about the sixth or seventh grade, and like I, and one of the premises of the joke, I said, I know what a hoe is, <laughs> but I didn't know what a whore was. So my mom comes home from work. It's like eleven thirty at night, and I go, guess what, mom? Jeremy's mom's a whore, and she just got Sega Genesis and everything else. And I go, why don't you become a whore, mom? And yeah, and it it wasn't good. She goes, you know what? I just work two jobs. And I'm not nobody's home. My mom cussed me the fuck out. And my mom didn't cuss. So, and my mom got like raped. Then she calmed down. She goes, you know what? I got too much self-respect to do that. And that was like the premise of the joke. (laughs) And that was the first time I felt really good on stage. My first bomb, my first bomb I actually did the show in Joliet. And I could hear people typing on their phones. It was so quiet. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh. And I could hear it. It's like that awkward silence. I would get a couple laughs here and there. But then it would kind of subside. And I, I'm like, oh, man, this is bad. But it never stopped me from wanting to do comedy. Really? I think that's one of the things that so many people get tripped up on. Even if, whatever you're doing, I think you can start off and you don't get the response that you want. Then you're like, oh, well, that's it for me. I'm like, <laughs> really? Like, it's, I hate to be cliche, like how they say when babies learn how to walk, like, nothing deters that child from getting up and trying to walk again. Exactly. But just to keep on going through things and, like, getting on stage and, like, having good sets, bad sets, good sets, bad sets, sets... That all right? Then, like you so see, you get that forty-five seconds of laughter. You like, you're really satisfied with that. Like, damn, I just spent five to ten minutes on stage, and they only laughed at thirty seconds of the shit that I just said. It's it's like the most. It's defeating, but it's like, hey, I don't stop. I want to stop doing it, mm. and that really it humbles you because I think that set was right after the set that I did. Um, that I was speaking of that I got a really good reaction from. Mm. I think it was like maybe two weeks apart. So I was like, okay, well, it's fine. But that never detoured me from comedy. Actually, in that same show, um, there was a headliner that went up. He, I don't think he does comedy anymore, but his name is Frank Nelson. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and he's a um, homosexual gentleman. <clears throat> and I remember, I'll never forget this. He did the song from Queen, Can't Stop Me Now. And he opened to that. And he and that song's like five or six minutes long. Mm -hmm. He danced and performed through that whole song. And he was like, can't stop me now. And you know, I, I don't sound as good as Freddie Mercury. <laughs> but when he did that, that amped me up to go on with comedy mm -hmm. because that excited me that he was that excited to be on stage and that kind of kept me okay I gotta keep my energy up if I'm gonna do this but when I saw him do that that changed my whole perspective about comedy in general it's just like just what comedy could be or being like what was it how excited he was to do that I mean he didn't tell a joke for five minutes but kept me captivated mm -hmm. kept the whole audience captivated and it wasn't the, the comedy part of it, it was the entertainment part of it. And I think that's what some com comics forget is that, okay, well, I'm telling jokes, I'm telling comedy. We're entertainers. I mean, and, and we have to give you the whole, the whole feel of what we're going through. Mm -hmm. And when he did that, the entertainment value for me was sky high. And it, I heard that song on the radio yesterday. And I didn't think of Freddie Mercury. I didn't think of Queen. I thought of Frank Nielsen. And that just, and I just got a big smile on my face when I heard that. And every time I hear that song now, it's not many times I hear it, but when I hear it, I just get a big smile on my face because that brought me an. I can't explain why it brought me that much joy, but it did to see somebody on stage giving themselves to the audience. Cause that could have went really bad, mm -hmm. depending upon the audience. But he had this attitude, fuck you, it makes me happy, I'm gonna do what the fuck I wanna do. Yeah. And if you don't like it, tough shit, cause you sitting here watching me. You're still here, so. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I got a bit like that, it's like, I feel like when you get on stage and you bomb, it's really like going to work on Monday and your boss is like, really? This is the fucking effort you put before, nigga? Like, that's, you, that's, this is what you're doing right now, all right? I don't know, man. You just, you get to a point where it's not that you don't care. Or even like I said in the last episode to St. James, we talked about this. You don't give so much power to the doubt of being on stage. And that nervousness. And maybe what you said your boy Frank was doing was just him getting to that point where you said, fuck it. I'm going to do whatever the fuck I want to do. And you're going to enjoy this. <laughs> and I love it when comics do that. I love when comics and other entertainers do that, too. Because it's hard to do. Mm -hmm. It's hard to get in this mindset where it's like, fuck it, I'm going to do what I want to do. If you don't like it, turn the fucking channel, walk out, leave, do whatever you got to do. Which you have the right to do. So. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm going to enjoy what I'm doing. And a lot of people don't get that. When you're enjoying putting out something, the audience enjoys it with you. Who doesn't want to see somebody laugh? Who doesn't want to see somebody give their all? Who, who doesn't want to see that? Mm -hmm. It's when you see the guy kind of... Even if he has talent, you're half-assing it, moping around. I feel like they just piss you off. <laughs> yeah. Well, who the fuck? I'm not important that you can give 100%. You're going to give me 50? After I pay five to ten bucks like a day, you're going to give me 50? Exactly. Man, fuck you. I'm not watching nothing else. Right. You know? And that's what right. I know you can do better than what you do. So. Yeah. And I love people. When they give me 100%, man, that just... And that, that did something to me in terms of, like, doing comedy. That made it to more where... I didn't want it to be a hobby anymore. I wanted mm -hmm. to be a, a profession. 
because for someone to have that much joy on stage and to give that much joy, even, even if I was the only person beaming from it, which I knew I wasn't, but if I was the only person beaming from it, I want to be at the point where I give somebody that much um, happiness throughout that mm -hmm. 15, 20 minutes. First paid gig, what was that like? Um, first paid gig, it was cool. I think it was 20, it was the same gig that I did that I bombed. <laughs> That's the cool part about comedy. Y'all can talk shit about our jokes, but guess what? We're still getting paid. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was like. I wanted to give it back. I was like, yeah. Oh, but yeah. then I thought about it, I was like, well, you know, there's gas money. <laughs> you know, I put that in my pocket. And I think my my um my wife came with me, um, my best friend, and one of my other best friends. Of course, he came late, and he was on CP time. And he was like, man, I was trying to get here. I was like, dude, I opened. I already went up. It's an hour, it's an hour later. <laughs> he lived down the street. That's Can't a minute so bad. Hey, man. I was like, hey, thanks. I appreciate bad, like you coming. <laughs> yeah, I was like, shit, at least you showed up. Right, right. Because, you know, when you first start, you're trying to get everybody to show up. That's, I think that's true, man. But then at the same time, you can't put the onus on people to support you. I've, I realized that okay. real early, very early. You cannot, you, I don't. I feel like as a comic, you can have people that say, hey, if you want to be there, you'll be there. But you can't. I don't want to force you yeah. to, you know. It's not multi-level marketing. <laughs> if you show up, you bring six of your friends, right. and they bring six of their friends, and then all Unless of a sudden, a we all show. rolling in the dough right. because we're selling witch jiggets. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I feel you on that, man. But I guess that first paid gig, bro, you, you, how do you feel after that, thinking, like, going forward, like, this is, this is possible. Then you realize, like, okay, I'm not gonna have another one of these for a couple of months. <laughs> <laughs> After that gig, I was like, man, I'm gonna hold on to this 20 bucks. That might be the last time I get 20 bucks outside uh, of a job. That's the realest, realest moment. <laughs> but it was, it was really, um, it was like, wow, people actually get paid doing this. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, even though I bombed that set, I had fun. I still had fun. I had fun talking, communicating with people. I had, I had out of that maybe seven minutes set, the two minutes that went well, I had fun doing that. I had fun doing the whole seven minutes. I had fun meeting other comics. Mm -hmm. Like, I get paid a small, you know, a small amount of money for hanging out with creative people and getting to tell jokes on stage, and you can't beat that. Mm -hmm. that's, that's one of the greatest things in the world. You, you are an older guy than me. I think you might. No. You're only about five or six years older than me, and I think about it. But balancing that life, like I talk, I talk, I talk to all the people on the show, whatever they're doing. You know, you can have a focus on what you got going on, or a project, or whatever art you're doing, creativity, whatever it is you got going. Like, how is it balancing life for you? It's hard. I honestly don't think <clears throat> I do a very good job. Um, you just being hard on yourself. I think I'm being hard on myself, but I think it's some it like. Life moves on with you without you, especially when you're a parent and you're a husband. I think, um, like, let's say if I go to an open mic on um, Monday, I know my son has karate's on Mondays, so I can't always go to an open mic on Monday. I'll have to split up that time. Or, um, or Tuesday, she's got tutoring. I, I give credit to my wife because she does a lot. She, when I'm not there, she takes him wherever he has to go. Mm -hmm. um, I try and be there every other event. Or um, maybe even every third if I'm prepping for a big show. Like this week I have a show um, coming up 
in my hometown. And I know there's going to be some, like I'm double down on open mics just to kind of get a prep. Yeah, final polish and to see what works. While I'm getting ready, prepping on open mics, somebody still has to be a karate. Mm -hmm. Somebody still has to be um, doing tutoring. And at the same time, you know, my wife needs that attention too. That's kind of like man in the household all by yourself. Even though it might be two or three nights a week, it's, it's, still, it's still a live house. Things still, you know, have to happen. And I try and do the best I can. Sometimes I, I don't feel like I make the mark. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was one night where I missed like one of my son's belt tests. And my wife probably told me about it. And I did not. And I was just at an open mic. I could have really missed it. And, and I, for some reason, didn't register. And she's like, oh, you guys belt tonight. I'm like, oh. And then like, it really crushed me because, you know, I want to be there every big moment that he has, mm-hmm. you know? And it, I, I think I do, I don't do the best job at it. And I think it's, like you said, that balance. Um, and it's a balance. Most 99 out of 100 people don't do things like comedy or entertainment or whatever else. So when they, when they get off of work, they, they're going to fuck home, mm-hmm. you know? And so... I think because I'm pursuing this now, sometimes I rob my family a little bit of me. And then at the same time, um, they do appreciate that I do have something outside of the house that I pursue. I think they're more forgiving of me than I am of me. And, that, and that's understandable because that means like you actually care about the situation. And it's just both, not just family, but like the comedy aspect of things. And thinking about it now, I think when you get into that creative mode and you know you have that ability, like, I, I feel like it's like, it's, you're, you're hurting yourself more when you say, I don't want to do comedy anymore. <laughs> I like, like, because aside from like, and, and that could be anything, like it could be somebody that's like, okay, well, I like to do carpentry on the side. I like to do like, uh, work on cars on the side and stuff like yeah. that. So you would kind of be in the same type of, Situation, but like you just play. Oh, I'm, I know I'm kind of creative. You'd hate yourself even more if you didn't do that stuff. I think it's a burden on creative people mm. because, like, I wish I was a regular guy that did my nine to five or worked my my twelve hour shift and then went home and relaxed a little bit and then took the kids to their baseball games and and you know spent um, endless time you know the rest of my time with my with my spouse whatever else. I, I I think when people aren't creative like that, I don't think that that, that fits their mind. Mm-hmm. Like, it's almost like a curse to me because you're in kind of the middle of two worlds. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, I have this creativity that I need to get out. And then at the same time, you that creativity takes time away from the priorities that you've had previous to that activity. So... There's goals that I want to have in comedy that's not really conducive to um, the lifestyle that I had before comedy. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a balance thing. Like I'm, just, I'll be honest with you. This is year five, and I'm still I'm actually um, doing more gigs now, trying to hit open mics, trying to really polish myself to a point that I visually see myself going. But then that takes time away from family too. So it's really it's a catch twenty two. I really hope to balance both of them better. Mm-hmm. 
Um, that's one of my goals. I'm gonna say my 2020 goals. I'm not gonna say 2019 because I ain't done it yet. Right. <laughs> well, I just think I think the one interesting thing about asking you this question is. You had the family dynamic before you even stepped on a stage to do comedy, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's like you have your journey is totally different than mine, as opposed to me being not only younger than you, but I I, I wasn't married with kids before yeah. I decided to start doing comedy. And I think it's impressive to see somebody actually take that, make that shift. And be successful. Like, bro, I know you're being hard on yourself, but like, it's like, dude, like, 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 I don't think, I don't think you're just awful. Like, I mean, you miss something, but you feel bad about it. That makes me realize, like, okay, this motherfucker is, he cares. You know, like, some people just like, I would, I care less sometimes about open mics. I care more about being at home. Agreed. I I get to the same way, too. And and I think that makes me work harder when I have the opportunity to work harder comedy if that makes sense I can get that yeah because when you're out you know it's business mm. you know even though we, we know uh, very talented and good people and they're cool to hang around with sometimes it's not out just to hang out it's out okay let me try this let me see how this works okay that didn't work mm-hmm. recording and stuff listening um, like on my lunch breaks trying to see where that works out mm-hmm. where I can use this transition and yeah, it, it makes you appreciate it more when you when you are out. Because if I was a single person, I'd probably do it, you know, four or five times a night. But I'll have that option, so maybe I have to double up on Tuesdays or Mondays or um or try and double up on whatever days that I can and then still spend that time too. And I think that that's the hardest part. It's like, cause I don't want my son looking at me like this dickhead. Uh, you know, thought more about comedy than me, yeah. which is the exact opposite. If there's anything I would give up first, it'd be comedy before my son. Mm-hmm. But I'm glad that's not an option. I have to give up any of those. It's it, I I see it as being a more well-rounded person when I have something I'm pursuing, and I have my family there to also. And your family supports you. I think that's. That's one of the things you have to appreciate too. Sometimes, sometimes you can be in situations where you're doing something and, and then they don't. You know, not even it's to me. It's not even about having them in the in the stands anymore and shit like that. Yeah. Like you know, sometimes it's just like I'm going to an open mic tonight. Okay, see you when you get home. Like that means the world. Like not even not even exaggerate. Sometimes that's like yeah, like yeah. I think it's it's hard in some ways because like. I think my wife mentioned this before one time. She goes, I never in my wildest dreams thought I would be with a person that kind of hangs out at bars mm-hmm. after work. I was like, well, I'm not hanging out. You know, I'm also doing comedy, too. But if you think about it, you know, we're sharing laughs with people on stage for, what, five minutes at the most? Mm-hmm. If you go to a city mic, it's two and a half, maybe right. three. So you really got to have your shit ready to go. Yeah. Like, you know, be on point with it. So... I definitely get that. But like I said, it's just, it is different to think like, okay, well, I think it's totally different if you had never been in that environment before. So if you, I don't know, you 
I'm from Chicago, the, the city, city. I know you from the, the outside, like the suburbs. Yeah. So it probably was a time was a time where you hung out at bars and stuff, and you got to do that. Like I only had like a small town, small college town. <laughs> we would go to this little ass bar. <laughs> like that was the environment that we were in. It's like, oh okay, yeah, this is what they were doing on Cheers and shit like that. You yeah, know, something <laughs> guy. <laughs> so yeah, like I totally feel you on that. Like man, I am really hanging out at a bar. With a bunch of dudes who think they're the fucking next Eddie Murphy, or <laughs> exactly, and then they only do that for five, three to five minutes, and then after that, it's like okay, well, kind of done what I had to do. <laughs> so then you hit up another bar right. and do the same thing. Like I, I, I would understand like a spouse being like, "What the fuck are you doing? Right. You're telling jokes in a bar in the middle of the week." I don't know what you're doing outside of that. Mm. And it's, you know, and I, I, I get that part too. And to be on the outside of that would be really hard. I mean, I couldn't, I honestly, not just being a woman, being a spouse in general, mm. and then like knowing your wife is, is after work, okay, I'm gonna go hit these open mics. I'm gonna go to the bar and get some, you know, buffalo wings and just kind of hang out mm. and tell my five minutes of jokes. And like being a spouse and seeing that, like I could see the other side being like, this motherfucker. I mean, you know, spending all that time there when he could be home. Like I get that part too. So it's, it's, it's a balance, but I'm still trying to figure out that balance of it. Like I have to do something big because if I don't, my wife is gonna murder me. <laughs> but, yeah, you, you get like that. Um, yeah, not, uh, at least show some type of progress or something. <laughs> so you already covered family, covered comedy and everything like that. Who are your influences, man? Like who are comics that you look up to or um, music that influences you? Like activities outside of comedy? I don't know, man. Like, oh, man. Like... <clears throat> like in terms of it's really weird I was thinking about this the other day I was talking this with a co-worker I grew up with a lot of blues and jazz mm. and I think that semi-influences my comedy because of the timing of it with jazz you have so many instruments doing their own thing at one time and then to kind of blend it in like if you listen to a lot of Coltrane's albums it's almost four solos mm being brought in to make one large piece. Count Basie, um, those guys. So a lot of times when you're writing a joke, you might have a part here that works. Mm -hmm. You might have this that works. Okay, this works with another joke. And you might have different parts that you have to blend in to make one set. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of that um, has to do with it. I think a lot of um, like actually comedic um, influences I'm have, man, I'm gonna have to really um, double down. I know a lot of people aren't gonna like this, but Bill Cosby is one of them. Mm. Just the, the stage presence he had. I mean, a lot of guys, like younger guys that we see now, like specials, like you see Martin Lawrence and Chris Ra, and um, a lot of like urban comedians, black comedians, you see them almost like in a frantic pace. Bill Cosby, even before then, was a guy that really kind of took his time. He dictated what you were going to laugh at and what you weren't going to laugh at. Mm -hmm. And even though I would say, like, those other guys like Chris Rock and Martin Lawrence and, um, and, and guys like that were influences, I think, like, Bill Cosby, 
did a lot of timing, a lot of timing, a lot of patience with his act. And you don't see a lot of that now, and you really don't. I'm trying to get to that point. I'm not even near that point. I think it might be like the form. We're talking about long form comedy, and the, like that was like all Cosby did. Like even listening to some yes. of his old stuff, it's like I don't know if you listen to some comedy albums. Most tracks are like three to four minutes long. You can listen to a comedy, a Cosby album is like eight minutes long for one track or something. Oh yeah. And I'm like, wow. Um, and I even noticed I did a show Thursday, and I was just boom going through. Like just like each joke, like not even waiting on the laughs, trying to keep the crowd up and like going. Cause we had, I think it was like maybe five or six comics, and you think about it in terms of people just sitting there that aren't going on stage. It's like when you had an open mic, you know everybody gonna sit down and listen to your shit because they want to get up on stage. But when you're doing a show, you got people sitting there that aren't gonna go on stage. You got six or seven people coming up on stage and everybody's got 10 minutes. Yes. So I was just like, boom, like keep going, you know what I'm saying? Like hit these jokes, like bow, bow, bow. But those guys, like especially, like you said, with that slow pace, like you have that, bro. Like even just when you've seen you on stage or even talking to you right now, this is a slower paced podcast. For if you go back and listen to other episodes, which is crazy because you and St. James are totally different types of comics. <laughs> and that's why I kind of wanted to put an emphasis on this com- comedy corner, I mean, comedian's corner type of thing. It's like all these, all these people have different types of comedy. And I like listening to them. And it's just, like you said, with that pacing, bro, like you got it, bro. Like it's just, I actually sit down and listen to you and take in all the laughs as opposed to somebody who's on stage like boom, boom, like you said, going all over the place with the energy and everything like that. Like your shit is really like, it is like that influence comes through through you, Man, bro. I appreciate <laughs> it. Me, I'm trying to work on I'm trying to, I'm trying to get there without the drugging, man. I'm trying to get there without the drugging. <laughs> wow. But even with like the jazz, the jazz and the blues emphasis, like you said, a, 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 jazz, a blues song is like the doom doo We talk about that right. Yeah. And then like when you do get on stage, some of your jokes are like, all right, all right, punchline. And you're like, okay, cool. And you just start talking. Just chill. Like this is this is like bird on stage. This is real cop. <laughs> <laughs> he don't he don't really go. Like it's just like if y'all can see me, you see my shoulders moving back and forth. Like that's just that's really like when you say that, like damn, I got it. Like I can see that. You know, just that that vibe, man. Like, are you reading anything now, or is like what other stuff are you taking in? Um, you know, I've been watching a lot of um. I've been watching a lot of old school like Rodney Dangerfield. Mm-hmm. Even though he does have that fast pace, it's his delivery that's just smooth. And I, I really <laughs> love the, that smooth delivery. Like he would do this and he would go to that. And then he can jump in and out of, of um, he can jump in and out of parts of a set and then come back to it. And I've always really admired it, but now as a comedian, I see it totally different as being a regular person watching mm-hmm. him. And I'm like, man, just for him to get that timing. He's another guy that started super late. Um, I think he started like in his maybe late 40s and 50s. Mm-hmm. And he's another guy where it's just, okay, now that old school, how about this? And then what about that? And, 
and it's just that kind of pacing. And he, like I told you, it is. It is. Yeah, he's playing the audience almost like um like in the jazz room. But it is like the like big Bill band, Evans. Like, like, like that's it, that's his his body language was like that too. Like he was always like yeah, he was listening. Like, so what are you listening? What is this <laughs> But his cues are almost dictated by the audience. And when he does that. It's not that he's giving out these cues. It's the fact that, okay, they're laughing. They're, okay, now I'm going to hit them with this. Mm-hmm. Okay, now I'll slow down. I'm going to go with that. It's kind of like um, Bill Evans. He's a jazz pianist. It's kind of the same thing. Where if you listen to a Bill Evans track, not the last tracks that he did, but kind of when he was in that bebop era, mm-hmm. it's kind of kind of um, kind of that, that fast pace where it's, okay, it's manic, it's manic, um, Okay, I'm gonna slow it down a little bit, give you that lab break, and now I'm gonna pull it back again. It's that pacing. And I think a big thing with me now is pacing. Not just wanting to get the jokes done, more than likely get my laughs. Okay, here's my hint. It's kind of, okay, I wanna learn a little bit better how to dictate the audience, to do with the audience rather than the audience um, kind of going off of what I had. I want to be able to control that a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that's like why I like to host a lot of the shows, because that helps me kind of get that type of pacing going. Mm-hmm. Well, one thing I usually ask each guest is three things you tell somebody just starting out doing anything creative. Like if it's comedy, music, art, uh, business, whatever, you know. What, what are three things you tell them? Um, three, that's a good question. Um, allow yourself to fail mm-hmm. you aren't going to get it right the first time <clears throat> you're not going to get it right the second time you're not going to get it right the hundred thousandth time but allow yourself time to fail at things because right when you're going to quit that's when the good stuff is just going to come on you right when you're about to quit so don't give up give your allow yourself time to fail um don't go off other people's timetables. Mm. Um, everyone goes, well, this person was at Laugh Factory when he was six years. This person was doing this and they were in year one and a half. This person was um, at this point. Don't, and that was one thing I had to learn when I started comedy, not to compare yourself with other people. You go on your own timetable. Or you can say, okay, this is my goal. I want to reach it by this point. But if I don't, that's okay. Mm-hmm. But I'm not going to compare it to this comedian over here or this artist over here. Or even when you're at work at a basic job, I'm not going to compare my growth to this coworkers over here. Everybody grows different. The thing is, is the main thing is, is that you pursue the growth that you have within yourself and it'll show on the outside. You have to grow everything in before it shows out. Mm-hmm. Um... And that'll probably bring me to like a third point is you have to you have to have a positive inward look on your career and yourself as a person mm-hmm. before it shows on the outside. A lot of people want to do all the outside stuff first and it doesn't work that way. You have to present yourself in a positive light to yourself, allow yourself to make mistakes. And to be a person and allow yourself to grow. That growth will show on the outside. And they'll manifest in better opportunities, better um, careers, better relationships with family and friends. Mm-hmm. But you have to do the work inside for it to show outside. And that's not a one-day process. It's not a five-day process. 
is something consistently that you have to do multiple times a day, every day, for you to see the hour spectrum of it. Hmm. Last thing I ask is each guest on the Kanye West confidence level. Now, usually that goes off into like a tangent of what Ye is doing right now, but <laughs> where are you at with your confidence and what you're working on? You know, what material you got going on from uh, college dropout to now Ye? It was different. I was saying that Ye will be the highest and we switched it around a couple of episodes ago. Oh. So college dropout would be the most confident kind of okay. that we know. Uh, where would you put yourself on that spectrum? If you know the discography. Yeah. I'm at Jesus. Really? I'm, I think I'm at Jesus. I'm at Jesus to the point where I have a lot of these stuff that I'm going to try. Um, throwing stuff at the wall, and I'm going to see what sticks. Because when I first heard Jesus, I fucking hated it. Everybody did. I hated it. And Everybody then I listened to it a couple more times. And I was like, oh. Everybody had a problem with that album. I was just like, like this is real, man. This, this, this like is the track Black Skinhead. So different. And, um, so different. Blood on the Leaves. When I, I hated those tracks when I first heard them. But now, like, I listen to it and I'm like, that's fucking genius. And I'm like, the album flows well. I don't know what I was thinking the first time I was listening. I get mad at myself <laughs> the first time. Because it was new, man. It was something that we weren't expecting from him. And everybody was just like, this is... We were so enamored with the college dropout, kind of. Yes. That made us feel... And, like, that goes to show you what it takes in, in this business to make it, bro. Like, you have to be really... Okay, well, like you said, failing first, and maybe a decade later, people actually appreciate the shit that you're doing. Man. When you think about that, that's you're right. That's exactly like everybody was like, this album, ugh, I hate it. Now it was <laughs> yeah. like, people are still talking about that album today. And, like, I'm, like, <laughs> and I'm like, and I went ahead and downloaded this illegally. <laughs> And that, I still hate it. Right, the crazy thing, <laughs> thing about that Jesus album is like, you'll be, I don't know if you're on Twitter like that, but I'll be on Twitter and I just, you can still see random tweets about that album oh, today. Man. Random tweets just show up like, somebody's like, Jesus was ridiculous, but I love it. <laughs> I don't know where he was coming from. Like somebody, you think somebody would try to talk and look, man, this is not going to work. This is all, it was unheard of. Like those types of tracks. Mm -hmm. And I was like, man, this is just straight garbage when I heard it. But then I don't know what happened. Why I actually listened to it a second time. So I never do that with albums. Mm -hmm. If I don't like it the first time, I don't really give a second listen to it. And I was, just, I was like, okay, maybe I like Blood on the Leaves. It started to grow on me. By like the fifth time, I'm all up into it. And I I just and it, it grew on me. And I think that's just a, a part of, like you said, just not worry about failing. Just do what you do. Let everybody say what they're going to say. Mm -hmm. But you have already put your art out there. That's from your heart. And if it's from your heart, it can't do nothing but succeed. And I think that's a good note to end the episode on. Right. <laughs> I appreciate you, Bert, coming Thanks, to me man. on the show, man. Thank you. Um, yeah, man. You got anything you want to plug? Social media, stuff like that? Yes, I do. Um, I'm actually starting out a um, 
new podcast is going to be called the uh, Curtain Jerks. It's going to be me and me and Kyle Allen. This is actually the best wrestling podcast out there. We haven't <laughs> even filled one episode. It's already the best. Tomorrow we gonna do some. We gonna do a promo video for it. We gonna have it on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Also, um, I have a show in Moments, Illinois, and that's it's right next to the Indiana border on the 16th of March. Um, it's gonna be me, Katie Miners, KB Marin, um, Kate Peterson. It's my all-time favorite show to do because it's actually right across the street from where I grew up. Oh wow. And I, I get to see old teachers, okay. neighbors, and everything, which is crazy because they were like, okay, I knew that this kid was ridiculous, but I didn't know he was this ridiculous. <laughs> and so that's my all-time favorite show. I'm doing two shows there. Um, I think like one at 7 o'clock, one at 9.30. And that's about it. But check out that Curtain Jerk podcast. If you are in the wrestling, it's something totally new. It's not a dirt sheet that you guys are looking for. It's an all-new view on wrestling done by two real comedians. And it's gonna, even though if you don't like wrestling, it's going to blow you guys away. So I'm looking super, super forward to that. And it'll be in about two or three weeks that we'll start. All right, man. Good luck with that. And i see you around, bro. <laughs> yeah, man. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate you coming on, bro. And that was this week's episode, guys. Thanks for checking it out. Thank you to my guest, Burr Young. Appreciate you coming on to the podcast, bro. I had a great conversation. Make sure you guys don't forget to subscribe and review on Apple Podcasts. Make sure you also check us out on SoundCloud at It's Your World Pod. And also make sure you follow us on both Instagram and Twitter at It's Your World Pod underscore. And you can also check out the Facebook page. You can use some likes on there. Appreciate the time. Hope you guys check out next week's show. I have a new guest. And, um... That's it, guys. Appreciate it. Have a good one.